jump in this morning, though, I, I want you to think about this. Have you ever noticed how people around you influence you? How when you start looking around your life, that there are people in your life, good and bad, that have influenced your life, that has caused you to make decisions uh, because of their influence. And so there are these influences around us. Uh, we'll recognize, I'll recognize for myself, I'm thankful for some of the positive influences that God has placed around me. But if I'm going to be honest, I will also recognize that there are some influences that maybe aren't bad, but maybe some influences that weren't the best for me. Some, in, some people whose values, whose goals in life were not aligned with what my values and goals in life were all about. And so they might have given me influence. So, for example, when I was in high school, this may be hard to imagine, I was a very skinny white kid. And my, my sister married this guy, and I thought he was cool. Uh, now, again, I was young, so I thought he was cool. He was a bunch of years older than I was, and, and, and I, I've learned a lot since then. But my sister married this guy, and, and the coolest thing about him is he had this little sports car with these big speakers in the back, all right? You're familiar with these big speakers, all right? The, the, the kind of speakers that you're, you drive and you're like, you feel it in your chest, all right? So this is my brother-in-law. I'm like, man, he's cool. So I... Of course, what did that influence? How did that dictate my life? I went and bought some of those speakers. Now, I'll be honest. I had this little car, this little Ford Escort, and, and the speakers on the subwoofer cost more than my car did by one and a half times. So I, my car had a tremendous amount of value, all right, because of these speakers. In fact, when I turned my speaker on really loud... Uh, yes, I was one of those annoying kids that blasts their radio and you can feel it all around you. I t- would turn my radio on loud and my bumper would fall off. Like, really? Like, it was... I know. Uh, I've grown up since then a little bit. Why would I do that? Why would I, this, this, this skinny little white kid who didn't have a lot of money, why would I put more money into this stinking speaker system than I did in my entire car? Because of the influence on my life. Because someone around me uh, influenced me. And I thought, man, if I do this like my brother-in-law, then I'll be cool. This isn't my brother-in-law, Dana. This is a different brother-in-law. What about you, though? What about you? Have you ever made a decision in your life? Maybe a decision that was unwise. Maybe a decision that you get a little space between and you look back and think, man, that was a dumb decision. Why did I do that? Have you ever followed unwise advice? You ever had someone uh, influence your life in, in a bad way? Maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe you looked up to somebody, you admired somebody and thought, man, I want to be like them. And if I just be like them, then I'll be cool. And so you make a decision and it isn't a very good decision. Maybe, maybe you have this desire to be accepted Maybe you just have this desire to be a part of the in crowd. And so maybe for you, you've been influenced to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Because again, you're trying to be accepted. And maybe, maybe try this one on. Maybe, maybe you wanted to do something that you knew wasn't the right thing to do. I don't know if any of you have ever been in this situation where you know you want to do something that isn't, that's just wrong. And so what do you do? You find somebody who will say, it's okay for you to do that. Because you want that influence. Because it feels better for somebody to say, it's okay, you can go ahead and do that. You can go ahead and, and do this bad thing. It's, it's cool, everybody does it. 
You ever sought that kind of influence in your life? Sought them out to affirm your foolishness, to affirm your stupidity? This summer, we're in this series uh, on the book of Proverbs that we're calling Wisdom for Living. And trying to look and say, does God's word uh, have wisdom for practical areas of our life? And so last week, we started talking about wisdom with with our words and how uh, we can use our words to to give life to the people around us. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, God's wisdom towards family. We're going to look at God's wisdom towards finances. We're going to look at God's wisdom towards our work. Um, All these different areas. But for this week and next week, uh, we're going to look at, at God's wisdom in our friendships, in our relationships. Next week, actually, this is what the series was designed to do. Next week, we're going to look at um, how do you and I be a good friend? What kind of friend are we supposed to be? What kind of friend should we be looking for? Who are, who are these people? Today was supposed to be something completely different, but as I started diving in, I kind of felt like, no, we're going to divert a little bit today. And and look at this idea on relationships, but look at this idea about who we allow to influence and speak into our life. And I just have a feeling that this is going to be a message that's going to speak to some of us in here today. And I hope that's you. And I want to be clear, when we're talking about relationships and influence and, and people around us, today we're not talking about gospel relationships. You know what a gospel relationship is? A gospel relationship is you've got a friend that you continually seek after because you want to have an influence into their life for Jesus. We're not talking about that kind of influence today. We're talking about the kind of influence that you allow somebody to speak into your life, to influence you, to give you advice, to give you wisdom, to help you decide how you should live your life and what decisions you should make in your life. So one of the things we did last week uh, we're going to do again today. So we did something called the Bible tree. And uh, this is just something that I want to do throughout this series. Uh, you say, well, what is a Bible tree? And I'll tell you what a Bible tree is. A Bible tree is something that you can write into your Bible and allows you to, to use your Bible, not just as a book to read, but allows you to, to use the Bible to speak into your life. And so we did this last week. We said there's, there's two different types of Bible trees. We did last week, we did uh, using our words to give life to other people. And we had a number of verses that you followed through. Uh, and you could write down in your Bible. Um, we did uh, words that bring death. And so it was a caution towards our words. And the idea with this is on the title page of Proverbs, you write, today it's going to be caution for your friends. Um, you're going to write, uh, choose your friends carefully. And then that title page of your Bible, you're going to write the first verse. You're going to put uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. And then you go to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, and you write the next one. You write Proverbs 4, 14 through 17. And then you turn to 4, 14 through 17, and you write the next one, 13, 20. I would encourage you to take a picture of this and do this at home. We don't want you to be distracted and miss out on the message we're going to have today. But this is a really good way for you to take your Bible and not just be some facts for you to learn, but this is something that you can come back to time and time again. And so as you begin processing through down the road and you're thinking, man, I know that there's some wisdom in here about me being cautious with who I choose to influence my life, you can actually turn to Proverbs and have uh, a number of verses that speak towards this idea and it leads you right to them. Today, though, as we talk about this idea about uh, wisdom in our relationships and uh, who we allow to influence our life, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 18 through, or 8 through 19. I encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you would turn there. If you have a phone, you can also turn your phone on and, and turn on the Bible app, Proverbs chapter 1, 18 through 19. 
And we're going to have some insight today is to peer pressure. We're going to have an idea looking at a topic of of peer pressure that is not just an issue that is, it's not just important for middle school boys or, or high school students. Peer pressure is something that affects every one of us in this room, whether you are a child or you are an adult. We're going to look at how society begins to influence and the kind of influences that we put around us. And then we're going to give some insight as to why we give into those influences, why we allow those negative influences to speak into our life. And we're going to look and ask God to to help us understand how we can avoid those uh, bad influences in our life. So if you were looking for a big idea, a takeaway, here's here's what I want you to walk away with today. Here's, Here's what I want you to know. Is that what you treasure... What you treasure in life will determine who you allow to influence your life. So we're going to see. Is whatever is, is highest priority to you, whatever is most important to you, that is what is going to dictate who you allow to influence your life. So we're going to go ahead and pray before we jump in. God, just thank you for this time to be gathered together. Thank you for your grace on us. Thank you for uh, the joy of opening up your word. Uh, God, thank you that you speak to us on real issues. That, God, you want to bring wisdom into our life here and now today. So, Lord, I pray that you uh, would speak to us. I pray that we would be honest with where we are before you. And that, God, you would challenge us in who we allow to influence our life. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're going to jump in. We're going to—I want you to notice as we start out this passage— in Proverbs chapter 1, I want you to notice that there's a, there, there, it's built on this idea of human beings desiring community. That we have this something inside of us that we desire to belong. We desire to be accepted. We desire to, to have that community. So notice, you can look at starting in verse 10. I want you to notice uh, this idea of, of drawing into community. Because uh, Solomon writes, this is my son. He says, if sinners entice you. If sinners invite you to come in and join us, he says, don't consent. And if they say, come with us, again, notice that community, come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us come join us. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Shoal, let us, again, this is idea, hey, I want to call you into this community. Let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We Again, hey, come be a part of us. Come be a part of this community. We shall find precious goods. We shall fill all of our houses with plunder. Throw your lot among us. We, this community, we will have, all have one purse. See, this whole passage is built on this foundational idea that you and I have this need inside of us to to belong. We have this need, this longing inside of us for community. I mean, this is true Uh, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert. Now, obviously, extroverts, we like being around people. The more, the merrier. And we think, well, introverts, they don't need... No, introverts need people. They just need less quantity, more quality. We all have this need for community. It is built within us. And what happens oftentimes is because we have this need for community, just like this passage... You've got, you've got a gang of people who are saying, hey, let's rally around a very bad idea. I mean, listen to those words they said. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Uh, uh, let us go and do these things. Let us go and fill houses with plunder. Let's steal and rob and take whatever we can. 
It's amazing how we as human beings can find community and rally around negative causes. I mean, think about this. Think about gangs. Think about racist organizations. Think about the drug community. Think about Cowboys fans. Like, people find community in the the worst things, right? Can I get an amen? These are negative things, but they provide that, that longing for a heart. They provide community. They provide a sense of belonging. This is why when somebody wrongs us, like somebody, somebody crosses you, somebody treats you poorly, what do you do? You go tell other people. You nurse that grudge because, again, you want community. You want people with you where you aren't alone. So we take whatever wrong that we have and we nurse it and we invite other people to get on board with us because we don't want to be alone. So we want to hold our grudge and invite other people to hold that grudge with us. A little bit of a, of a sidebar here. I want you to notice here in, 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 in verse 10. Solomon says, hey son, if sinners entice you. Sinners, negativity. This simple idea that misery loves company. Does it not? Misery loves company. This is why honestly there are some of us in here. We are so hard-headed. That when we decide to do something foolish, when we make a decision in our mind, hey, I'm going to do something that I know isn't the right, not, that is not the right thing to do, what do we do? We start looking for people to affirm our decision. Or we look for people to join us. Man, oh man, I want to do this crazy thing. It's going to be dumb. You should come and do it with me. I mean, this almost sounds like every start of every high school boy's story from back in the day, Right? It feels better for us to have somebody who affirms what we're going to do or joins us when we're going to go and do something stupid. And oftentimes what happens, and this breaks my heart as a pastor, is somebody begins to set their course, to set their life and make a decision, and they begin to disconnect from the community of the church. They begin to to disconnect from mature believers around them. They start finding counsel from people who will affirm their decision. From people who will walk with them in their stupidity. The reality of it, we need to understand misery loves company. So Solomon's building this whole idea on this desire for community. This desire to be be known. Something that God built deep down in our soul. uh, The way that God created us. But the problem is, is community is kind of like hot Cheetos. Like you ever go to the mini mart and get a bag of hot cheetos and you open up and you start eating those cheetos what happens to your fingers what happens to your hands if you have kids what happens to their faces those hot cheetos that crumb that 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 stuff comes all over the place this is like the community of people that we place ourselves in there's that saying i don't know who said this i tried to find who said this and i couldn't find it but it, it is so valid and so true Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Am I right? Just like those hot Cheetos. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And this is just a warning to us that we have to be careful with, with, with who we choose to be in our community. Who we choose to have influence over our life. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. The Apostle Paul says, listen, don't be misled. Bad company corrupt, corrupts good character. 
I don't care how strong you are, how good of a person you are. If you put yourself into a community that is negative, if you put yourself around people that are negative, it's going to influence you. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But listen to this. The companion, the companion of fools will suffer harm. I mean, how many of us as adults can think back to our life and think about the way that that played out when we were younger? How many of us can think back to people that we thought, man, these guys, we're, we're tight, we're in it together. And you're like, man, you led me to stupid decisions. I mean, I think about, I think about myself, think about all the way back to elementary school. All the way back to elementary school. I had this friend and he's like, dude, we're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, we are. And our parents, it was a day and age where parents didn't know where kids are. There was no cell phones to track your kids. It was kind of like you just do whatever you do and be home by the time the, the streetlights are on. So we went down to local elementary school. My friend's like, hey, I think we'd climb up on this roof. And I was like, how? And he's like, well, you climb on this fence and you, you jump on this thing and you can climb on the roof and we can play hide and go seek on top of the roof at the elementary school. Great idea. Let's go do it. The problem was, even though it was summer, the janitor still works over the summer. And that was not a fun trip. And the janitor took me home and told my mom where he found us doing. That was just not the situation I wanted to be in. In fact, thinking about how uh, those influence, those people influence you. When we were, my, Samantha and I, when we were newlyweds, um, I was still a newer Christian. I was trying to figure out what it looked like for me to live my faith out. What does it mean for me to be a Christian? And trying to figure it out. And when we were newlyweds, I worked at Ace Hardware. I drove a forklift at their distribution center. And I loved that job. It was a fun job. It was fun driving the forklift. I was good at it. And uh, it, it was, it was, it was uh, a good experience for me. But there was a dude that worked there. Uh, he'd worked there forever. He's one of those guys that had been there a long time. Older, more mature. Uh, and you're like, man, that guy's kind of cool, you know, he's, he's, man, I, I want to learn from him, and I kind of looked up to this guy a little bit, the problem was this guy, man, he had, a, he had a mouth on him, and when you were around him, he talked like he worked at a construction site, and it was just bomb after bomb after, now, I'm not judging you if you work in a construction site, or, or that's your kind of setting, but for me, here I am trying to, to be a Christian, trying to figure out what it looks like for me to live my faith out, and I've got this friend that's influencing me and words coming out of my mouth that don't reflect what God has done in my heart. And I look back at that time and I think, man, man, why was I so foolish? Why did I look up to that guy so much that I allowed his type of conversation, his type of words to influence the way that I spoke? It's a simple idea. We have to understand it. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. Be cautious, be careful with who you put yourself in community with. Choose wise people to, to have influence into your life. In fact, as you look at this passage, he talks about this general idea, need for community, but then he kind of gives us uh, the, some valuable insight into what a healthy community, where it starts, where it needs to be founded. Actually, if you look at verse, verse 8, again, this whole passage is built on the uh, whole book of Proverbs is, is Solomon writing these Proverbs to his son. And so here's what Solomon says. He says, hear my son, hear your father's instructions. Listen, do not forsake your mom's teaching. 
listen to us. In the family setting, mom and dad, we're speaking into your life. And he says, for they are graceful garland for your head and dependence on your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Listen, what Solomon wants us to understand is the most basic, the most primary sense of community that we all need to find is, is community from a family. It is so significant that the, the family unit is that important. And listen, if you're a parent in here, like I just, I need you to, to listen to this. It's, I need you to listen to this, especially if you've got teenagers, especially as your kids are growing up. The most important the most influential source of community that your kid will find isn't from the school. It's going to be from you. It is the most significant source of community. And the reason why kids begin to seek the influence from their peers is because they don't find the influence at home. Have you seen this play out? That what you don't get from your parents, you're going to seek from others. Where if you can't ever seem to live up, live up to your parents' expectations, you're going to find someone else's expectations that you can live up to. If you find that your parents don't accept you, if they don't love you, if they don't guide your life, you're going to look elsewhere for someone to, to speak into your life, to guide you, and to accept you. It's a basic fact of who we are as human beings. That, that family unit is so significant. And this is, this is the picture of this passage where you've got a dad standing in front of his son saying, listen, listen to me. Let, let me teach you. Let me warn you. Let me influence you for good. Parents, every child needs to have conversations with you like this. Where you're looking at your child and you're saying, listen, this is what the world looks like. This is what you can expect from the world. And let me give you some wisdom as to how to navigate it. Let me speak life into you to how to avoid the missteps, how to, to be a person of character. Now, the reality of it, though, is, is as significant as this, this family unit is. And I hope you walk away as parents and recognize, man, you've got a huge role to provide this community, this loving acceptance for your kids. The reality of it is, some of us, man, we didn't have that strong family unit. Some of us were underparented. Some of us, we lack that, 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 that sense of security in the family, in that community. And this is where we have to recognize the grace that God has given to us. Because God has given us another family. <coughs> this family right here. God has given us the family called the church. And this family... Is worth its weight in gold when it's done right. Let me tell you what, you know what happens when kids grow up without that strong family? You know what happens when, when, when people grow up and don't have that sense of community? I mean, I had the chance to work at Madison House for seven and a half years. Madison House is an inner city youth center, seven blocks, six blocks to uh, the south. We worked with primarily uh, families, and I think about, we worked with hundreds of families, hundreds of families. And as I think about the families that we worked with, I can think on one hand of how many of those families actually had mom and dad together in the home. Think about those statistics. Think about how many families, what percentage that is. These kids were ripe for, for gangs. 
These kids were ripe for finding community in all sorts of negative places. And many of those kids did. And our our goal at Madison House was to create a, a positive community. To create a community where there was belonging, where there was love, where there was acceptance, where there was someone who was going to point them to Jesus. Listen, that's what the church is supposed to be. The church, God has given us the church where he has given us father figures to to speak into our lives, to give us wisdom, to help us navigate the way the world works. God has given us spiritual mothers to, to speak into our life, to say, let me encourage you and point you in the right direction. I mean, this is what God does. God loves to, to locate us in the family of God where there is wisdom to be found, when there is people to speak into our life, to make things beautiful. Listen, let me tell you what, Restoration Church, if we don't love our community, if we don't welcome the people that walk in the door, if we don't accept them and and love them, listen, they're going to look elsewhere for that community. And oftentimes, they're going to find that community in places that are going to be destructive for their souls. Restoration Church, my desire is that we would be a place that we would love people well. That they would find love and acceptance. That they would find Jesus. Even if they're a little different than us. Even if their colors, uh, their, 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 their ethnicity is different than us. Even if their financial background is different than us. I want people to walk in. And feel like they are loved and accepted so we can point them to the Savior. So they can have their life changed. Listen, if you are new to Restoration Church, let me say I hope you feel loved. I hope that you have felt welcomed by our church. And I would implore you more than anything, if you are new here, then get connected to the body of Christ right here at Restoration Church. Plug in. Build relationships. There is a ton of wisdom, a ton of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that would love just to walk alongside you, encourage you, and speak into life. In fact, I think one of the cool things I see in this passage is is Solomon is speaking to his son, saying, hey, here's how the way the world works. Solomon's not just saying, hey, don't do that. No, no, don't do that. In fact, what Solomon says is, in in verse 9, he says, He gives us more than a warning. He he makes this great promise. He says, Here are instructions in verse 9, for they are a graceful garland around your head and pendants for your neck. I mean, he says this type of picture of words where you kind of picture a girl uh, with her hair, with with a pretty rose up in her hair. You have this picture of this bling-bling necklace uh, hanging around a guy's neck. And these things are meant to beautify a person's appearance. They're, They're meant to make someone beautiful. See, what happens is so often we are consumed with externals. We're consumed with our looks. We're consumed with our hair. We're consumed with our clothes, trying to make sure they look good, whatever it happens to be. And here's the wisdom of Solomon. And I want you to hear this. Here's the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon's saying the most beautiful thing that you can do, the thing that would make you the most attractive, has nothing to do with you, what, what you wear. Has nothing to do with your hair, with your skin, with anything else. He's saying the most beautiful, attractive thing you can do is focus on your character. Is listen to the wisdom that God has given you to guide your life. That is the most beautiful and attractive thing that any one of us could do. 
So here's the premise of this whole passage. Is Solomon saying, hey, we have this sense for community. And I think we get this idea. I think we get that we desire to belong. And because we desire to belong, sometimes there's that, that, that peer pressure that, that speaks into our life. And we begin to kind of comply with what everybody else is doing. But I don't think just understanding peer pressure is enough. I don't think just warning you about peer pressure leading you to do dumb things like climbing on the roof of the elementary school is enough. I think we have to dig a little bit deeper. I think we have to uh, understand, number one, why is, why is this pressure so, so relevant? Why is it so appealing to us? Why do we so often give in to people that, that aren't a good influence in our life? And I want you to notice something in this passage. I want you to notice where the pressure is coming from. Look at verse 13. Look, look at the way that Solomon writes this. Verse 13 says, uh, We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Notice, precious good, fill our house with stuff. Verse 14, he says, We shall all have one purse. Notice verse 19, he says, we are, They were greedy for unjust gain. See, Solomon is, is building this idea that, that there's this desire for his son and for this gang of guys around him trying to call him in for stuff, for possessions, for money, for wealth. I mean, how, did, how many of us could say, yeah, I felt that appeal before. I felt that appeal in my life. You have this idea that if I just have enough money, then I'll be happy. If I just have enough money in the bank, if I just, then I'll be satisfied and things will be easier. In some regard, Solomon is warning his son about the lure of wealth. Thinking that if wealth, if you just get enough, then you'll be satisfied. Then you'll be happy. Then you'll be content. And Solomon is trying to say, point out that, listen, if, if, if wealth is, if money, if possessions, if things is your treasure. If you treasure that, if you value that most in life, then you're going to align yourself with people who value the same thing, right? So if treasure, if, if wealth, if that's the most important thing into you, that's what you value the most in life, you're going to find other people who value the same thing who can help you figure out how to get more of that to make your life happy. Proverbs chapter one, here Solomon is dealing with this idea of, of money. But literally you and I could replace that idea of money with any other thing. Physical beauty. If you value physical beauty, if that is the most important thing to you, then you're going to put yourself around other people who have that same value. If you value uh, courage, then you're going to put yourself in a situation where you have all these people who are courageous and, 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 out, and adventurous and doing all sorts of crazy things. If you value uh, hard work, if you value relationships above everything else, then you're going to run from relationship to relationship trying to find that value. And you're going to have people who encourage you to do that. Whatever you value most in life, there's going to be this temptation to, that you're going to be drawn to groups that are focused on you achieving the thing that you value most. So just, as, again, as an example, if you value physical beauty... And that's the most important thing to you. But you look in the mirror and all you see is homeliness and, and ugliness. You're going to feel bad about yourself. You're going to feel like you're a failure. If you value courage, but then in life you feel like you're a coward, what's going to happen is you're going to feel unhappy with yourself. If you value diligence and hard work, 
and you yield to the temptation to be lazy, you're going to be filled with this uh, self-hatred, with this contempt towards yourself. The point being that your self-image and my self-image often depends on whatever degree that we attain with whatever we cherish or whatever we value the most. Okay? So, for example, let's say Maria. Maria is a little socially awkward. Um, She says the wrong thing at the wrong time. And when she does that, she feels guilty. She despises herself because, again, what does she value? She values community. She values being accepted, but she always says the wrong thing at the wrong time. So she's going to feel bad about himself. Carl, Carl's a guy who values uh, physical fitness. He values uh, physical beauty. But he looks in the mirror and he sees himself being short and overweight. So every time he looks in the mirror, he's going to curse himself. Every time he looks in the mirror, he's going to have this temptation to withdraw from uh, contact with others, to lose motivation to pursue healthy relationships because he feels bad because the thing that he values so much isn't there. Jorge, constantly berated by his father for a C average in school. Tell you what, Jorge's going to feel depressed. He's going to conclude that he is worthless. And all three of these people would be sitting ducks for the temptation to join evil crowds. To indulge in whatever sinful behavior promises them the things that they want the most. Acceptance, love, value, whatever it happens to be. Unfortunately, what happens is when you and I come across people like Maria or Carl or Jorge, we, we don't offer them the best, best help. Where Maria comes in and we say, well, Maria, you're not that awkward. Like, I've never heard you say the wrong thing. You're not that bad. It's okay. And Carl comes in and we say, well, Carl, you know, you're not that overweight. You're just a little bit. It's not, you know, you're just just big boned. Jorge comes in and we're like, Jorge, do you know how many millionaires had a worse grade, grade point average than you do? It's okay. Your dad's just a jerk. Just ignore him. And we offer these advice trying to deal with the symptom without dealing with the root. Because the root isn't how they see themselves. The root is that they have a treasure, they have a value that is misplaced. The root issue, the heart issue, isn't popularity or their weight or their grades. It's that they have a value placed in the wrong thing. See, God created us. God created us to treasure, to enjoy something greater than our outward appearance. God created us to, to, to value more than just our popularity, to treasure more than our grade point average, to treasure more than our wealth, to, to, to uh, enjoy something greater than a paycheck, to, to enjoy something greater than just physical uh, sports successes. God created us to treasure something more valuable than any of those things. And what makes Maria or Carl or Jorge and what makes me and what makes you worthy is not any of those things. What makes us worthy is that we are created in the image of God. And what matters most, what has got to be our primary value, our primary treasure in life, is that uh, what matters most is being known and loved by God. By being adopted into his family. By being destined for his eternal glory. See, we place our value on so many things that this world has to offer. Success, relationships, physical beauty, money, sports 
successes, whatever it happens to be. But what matters most is us living a life that is built on displaying God's glory. What matters most is that we be people that reflect who God is, that we be people who reflect the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, that is what matters most, folks. That is what matters most. In fact, this is what happened to the Apostle Paul when he converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 says Paul looks at all those, of all those worldly accomplishments. He looked at his family heritage and how, how destined he was. He looked at all his education. He looked at his status and, and all that he achieved. All the things that would make him superior to somebody else. All the things that people would look and say, you're successful, you're beautiful, you're whatever. He looked at all of that, and this is what he says in Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, for, for, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Listen, that word rubbish means animal feces. It means dung. It means cow pie. It means a dog log. He says, I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him. See, what we need and what my desire for every one of us in here is that we will build our lives around biblical values. That we would build our lives on the truth of God's word and that God would supernaturally transform our value system. That God would enable us to cherish what's of paramount importance. Knowing Christ and making Christ known. That as we consider what would make our life complete, what would make our life happy, would make our life good, it isn't in all these things that the world has to offer. It is in knowing Christ and making him known. In fact, I'd say that the reason that we give in to peer pressure, the reason that we give in to society pressure to conform to the way that society says to live, the reason that we allow bad people to influence our lives is because we're treasuring the wrong thing. We're valuing the wrong thing. I mean, sure, we love God. We go to church on Sunday, but our heart isn't set on him. Our heart is set on something else. In fact, parents, too many of us are raising our kids to believe that the things of this world, what make you really important, what makes you significant. We raise our kids believing that if they are beautiful, if they're strong, if they're athletic, if they're smart, if they're popular, then they have a great amount of worth. In fact, we had these friends that we used to go to church with years ago. Their kids were quite a bit older than our kids. We had little ones, and theirs were teenagers. And I remember watching them. These were people that were involved in church. We went to church with. But athletics was their top priority in life. It was the soccer teams, the the tournament teams, and it was going every weekend to these things. And then they had the boat, so they had to take the weekends to go and play on the water and have all this recreation. And religious things, well, they were important, but they were third or fourth on the list. Now, let me remind you, these people served in ministry with me. We taught Awana together. We, we served together in the church. But let me tell you what, those kids, they learned, they learned what the values of the parents really were. That sure, there's this God thing, but there's all these other things that are of greater significance. 
And now as I think back on this family, I think about where their kids are, all three of their kids. I can't say one of them is in church anymore. Why is that? Because they learned a different value system from mom and dad. They were taught, here's what's going to be most significant. And church and God, you know, that's further down the list. These things, the sports and the recreation and the fun, that's more important. So this is what we have to deal with. This is what we as a church, this is what you and I have got to deal with. Because I'll, I'll just be honest, as I think about As I think about this, there are some of us in here that you and I, we're a part of the gang in Proverbs chapter 1. We value, we treasure things that are wrong. We value and treasure fun and popularity and beauty and wealth. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but if they're the things that we value most in life, then we are in trouble. And you might not think, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not doing what Proverbs said. I'm not ambushing the innocent. I'm not drawing blood like Proverbs chapter 1. But the reality is when we place those things as being primary importance, that we begin to mock people that don't. We belittle those around us. We walk over. We destroy anybody whose value is different, who doesn't match your value. Because if you can make yourself look better, that you're accomplishing what you value most. And so you're going to beat down those who don't. Some of you, some of you, maybe you're not part of the gang, but some of you have bought into valuing what the world values. You've bought in and you're allowing those people to influence how you live. You've sought acceptance from whatever it happens to be from the gang. And so you are, are, are taking part of all these things that you think are going to satisfy you. And you're, you're allowing people to influence you to live your life in a certain way because it'll bring you peace and satisfaction. And it's not going to bring you what you're looking for. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to give you what your heart desperately desires. It will not remove the confusion of an immature heart. In fact, the only person that is going to hurt is going to hurt you most of all. And you're going to pursue these things and think, if I just follow these guys' life and do what they say, listen, you're the one that's going to get hurt. And here's Solomon pleading before his son. Here's Solomon saying, listen, listen, son, this is how the world works. That when you place your value in wrong things, people are going to pull you and say, hey, come with me and I'll help you find success in that value and I'll help you find success in these different things. And here's Solomon pleading with his son to avoid the dangers of the wrong values. Listen, I'm your pastor. And I'm before you today pleading you the same thing. That what you treasure most is going to determine who you give influence over your life. And you begin to treasure wealth more than anything else. Guess what? People who treasure that is going to influence your life. Religious things are going to be further down the list because you've made wealth ultimate. Popularity. More likes on Instagram. Your physical beauty. Whatever, your your power, your respect, whatever it happens to be. If you make that ultimate, then you're going to fill your life with people who help you accomplish that goal. 
So my, what I'm pleading for you to do today is to consider in your own heart. Be honest with you. Be honest with yourself. What is it that you treasure most in life? What is it that is of, is of most significance to you? What's your greatest value? Deep inside your heart, beyond the surface, what is most important? Is it anything other than Jesus? Is it anything other than knowing Christ and making Christ known? Listen, if it is, then would you just today, would you confess that to God? Would you just say, God, I recognize this. I recognize that there's some other areas in my life that I've been giving a lot more value to. My happiness, my wealth, my fun, whatever it happens to be. God, this has become a value I've placed above you, God. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to give you a passion for the things of God. To give you a passion to be part of the people of God. First and foremost, above everything else. Ask God to change what you value. And I would just stand before you and again ask you to consider who it is that you are allowing to influence your life. Who are the people that you invite to speak into your life? As you think about making decisions, as you think about uh, career choices, relationship choices, as you think about decisions you are making in your life, who are you allowing to influence you? Who is it the people you're taking advice from? And I'd point you back to a verse we read earlier, Proverbs 13, 20. Very clearly, Solomon says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. These are the people we need around our life. People of wisdom. People who can speak into our life so that we as well would become wise. You can say, well, who, who, who are the wise? Again, we, we, we look back in the very first message from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. What's the beginning of wisdom? What is the foundation of wisdom? Who are the people that we should be looking for? Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, a humility before God. People, people who recognize that God is God and we're not. People who recognize God is sovereign. God is in control. God is in charge. And I align my life to him instead of me trying to say, God, you're going to do what I want you to do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is inviting God to be Lord of your life, to live in a way that honors Him. Those are the people that we need to walk with in life. Those are the people that we need to fill our life with, to be able to speak into it, to say, here's where I'm at. I need some advice. We need to find those people who truly fear the Lord. What does that person look like? We said them earlier, the fruit of the Spirit. People filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. People who reflect the Beatitudes. Those are the people who have a fear of the Lord. Those are the people who have wisdom. And those are the people that we need in our lives. I'm passionate for you. I think this message is relevant because there's so many of us that have these value systems that are out of place. 
And I would just encourage us today to humble yourself and align yourself to God's value, to knowing Christ and making Christ known. You're saying, well, I'm struggling with that. Just pray that God would transform your heart. Pray that God would, would, would help you to value the things that he values. First and foremost, above all else.